Now, I've heard rumors that there's a seventh Star Wars movie coming out. Now, that may not excite some of you. It excites me. I'm glad for that. Now, I've heard rumors about it, and that's because occasionally I see like a news clip or something on the internet about who might be starring in it or who's going to be directing it or when filming is taking place. In fact, after the first service, some people told me filming's already started. Now, all of that is great, and all of that makes me think, okay, this movie is uh, most likely coming. But given the fact that nothing in Hollywood ever seems to progress exactly as planned, I'm not putting too much stock in this movie coming out until the thing that will sort of seal it for me is when they release the preview. Now, I don't have to necessarily see the preview myself. If a friend comes back from the movies and says, hey, I went to see whatever movie and they showed the preview of the new Star Wars movie, that's when I'm going to start getting excited and begin to make plans to go see it. See, if a movie studio is willing to release a preview, although it's not an absolute guarantee the movie is coming, for the most part, it's a pretty good bet. They've already done the filming. The movie's already sort of been laid out. And that you can plan that this is coming. And one of the benefits of the movie preview is that it gives you sort of a sense or an idea. It builds excitement but gives you a sense or an idea of what the actual movie is going to be about. Well, last week we were talking from 2 Peter about how God has given us the incredible opportunity to have his nature and personality formed in us and lived out through us. And one of the reasons that Peter gives for why we want to pursue that reality is because when Christ returns, those of us who have been giving every effort to allow God's personality to become our personality will receive a rich welcome into Christ's eternal kingdom. But the question is, at least to Peter, well, how do you know what's going to happen when Christ returns? Like, of course, that sounds right. But how do you know that that's what's going to happen when Jesus returns? And if Peter himself were here this morning and we were able to ask him that question, his response would be, I know Christ is going to return and I know this is what's going to happen when Christ returns because I've seen the preview. That God, who is much more reliable than a Hollywood studio, has already released the preview of Christ's second coming. And it's on the basis of that preview that Peter attended that has given him the understanding of what the movie of Christ's second coming is going to look like. That's why when he tells us, you'll receive a rich welcome, he's doing so on the basis of the preview that he's already seen. That's what we want to look at this morning, and that's what God has for us through the Apostle Peter to study today. So if you would, take a Bible and turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. If you need a Bible, there's one under your seat or in the rack in front of you, and that's page 984 uh, in the church Bibles. 
2 Peter chapter 1, page 984. And our beginning focus is going to be verses 12 through 15. But to kind of catch the context and the flavor of what leads into 12 through 15, let's jump back and pick up verse 11. This is the verse I just alluded to. And it's in that verse that Peter says, if you pursue Christ's personality, God's personality, you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So... I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things." Peter's talking here about Christ coming in his kingdom. This is a reference to the second coming of Christ. When God laid out the plan for how he was going to rescue humanity, he had always planned that he would come in the person of Jesus twice to the earth. The first time has already happened. It happened 2,000 years ago. And Jesus came first as a baby in a manger born in Bethlehem, grew as a human into an adult, gathered disciples around them, around him, taught them the way of the Lord, the way of God, lived a sinless life, offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins in obedience to the Father, and because Jesus lived a sinless life and by faith entrusted himself to God, when he was crucified, God the Father raised him from the dead. He has ascended to heaven where he currently, right now, is seated at the Father's right hand. But he is promised to come again. That coming has not happened yet. The first coming has taken place, but Christ will come a second time. This time not as a lowly son of a carpenter, not to die on a cross, but as the divine king coming to rule over the whole universe. It's this second coming that Peter's talking about, that when the king comes, he will establish a kingdom and that those who have sought to live out God's personality today, we will receive a rich welcome into that kingdom. And the question is, how does Peter know what the second coming is going to be about? He was alive during the first coming. He was here when Jesus was on earth. He witnessed the crucifixion. He saw the resurrection. He witnessed the ascension. But the question is, how does he know what's going to happen in the second coming, which hadn't happened in his life? The answer is, is that he saw the preview. He saw the preview. And just like the friend who goes to the movie theater and sees the preview for the Star Wars movie or whatever and calls you up and says, 
it's coming. I saw the preview. Peter has written this letter to say Christ is coming again and I know it because I saw the preview. That's what verses 16 to 18 are about. Peter says, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Now Peter is talking here not about the first coming, but about the second coming. The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. The first coming was Jesus coming in humility. Jesus coming as the suffering servant. The second coming is Jesus coming as the conquering king in power and glory. And what Peter's trying to say is, look, when I showed up in your church and started teaching you about the second coming, I wasn't just making stuff up. I wasn't just telling you what I thought might happen or what I hoped would happen. I wasn't passing on myths that I had heard that had been handed down from generation to generation. I shared with you what I saw myself, the preview that I experienced. And he says it's important for me to pass this on to you to remind you that Jesus is coming again because this drives everything. Everything that happens in 2 Peter is contingent on the fact that Christ is returning. So in chapter 1, when Peter says, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge, the reason we do that is because when Christ comes again, we will receive a rich welcome into his kingdom. 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter is going to talk about false teachers who are out spreading lies that sexual immorality is okay, that you can change God's rules about that and about other kinds of things. And Peter says, when Jesus returns, those who promoted such false teaching and those who believe such false teaching will experience judgment. 2 Peter chapter 3, because Jesus is coming again, you and I who are believers in Jesus need to live holy and godly lives so that others can be drawn to Jesus. Everything that Second Peter is about rests on the fact that Jesus is coming again and everything that we're going to talk about this morning and everything we're going to talk about this summer is all about being reminded and remembering that Jesus is coming again. Peter says, I know you know this and we do, many of us here know this. But the point is we must be reminded of it. And Peter says, in order for do that, in order to do that, I know that I'm going to die soon. And so I need to tell you the story of the preview that I saw. Because in that preview, I've got a glimpse into the window of what it will be like when Christ returns. And he says, I do this because after I'm gone, which is the state we're in now, Peter has died and gone to heaven. I want you to have access to what I saw and what I experienced so that it will continue to be a reminder that Christ is coming again. So now what he references as this preview is not the resurrection. That's not a preview of Christ's second coming. Instead, 
he talks about the transfiguration. The transfiguration is a preview of Jesus coming in power. And so what we want to do this morning is look at that story in more detail. So turn over to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. This is the story that Peter is referencing when he says, I was an eyewitness. I got to see it firsthand. Luke chapter 9. It's page 841. The official story of the transfiguration that Peter's talking about begins in verse 28. But let's set the context by jumping back to verse 26. Verse 26, this is during Jesus' first coming when he's here on earth. And he's teaching his disciples. And this is what he says, verse 26. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Jesus is in the middle of his first coming, but during his first coming, he's teaching about his second coming. And he says, when I come back, not in humility, but in glory, when I come back in glory, whoever's ashamed of me and my words, I'll be ashamed of them. And then still speaking about his second coming in glory, he says, and I tell you what, the way you're going to know that this second coming is actually going to happen and what's going to happen when it does occur, there are some of you here, meaning then, who are going to be able to be eyewitnesses to see the preview of me coming in my kingdom. That's what verse 27 means. There were some in that original listening audience who were going to see the preview of Jesus' second coming before they died. Verse 28, about eight days after Jesus said this, what happens in verse 28 is the fulfillment of the prophecy of verse 27. Jesus says some people are going to get to see the preview before they die Verse 28 says, eight days later, that prophecy was fulfilled. Jesus took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. Now stop there for a moment. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, and although all three of them are named, it becomes clear that Peter is sort of the focus of this experience, and he takes them up onto a mountain for prayer meeting. And like many prayer meetings, this is a prayer meeting that causes people to fall asleep. And so Peter, James, and John are growing very sleepy during the prayer meeting. But unlike any other prayer meeting, in the middle of this prayer meeting, something incredible happens and Jesus is transfigured. What this means is, is that up until this point in his life, 
Jesus, who is completely human, looked nothing but human. He looked like a baby, then he looked like a, a little boy, and then he looked like a teenager, and then he looked like a young man. And nobody had ever seen Jesus look any different than that. But on this mountain, for this moment, Jesus' human appearance goes into the background and his divine glory comes into the foreground. He's transfigured, he's transformed. His face begins to glow, his clothes, everything about him changes and it's almost like he sort of peeled away his humanity for a moment. Now he didn't stop being human. But it's like that fades to the background and all of a sudden there is Jesus, the divine son of God, in his full glory. Well, the disciples who are falling asleep, all of a sudden, they are awake. What is this? I mean, wide awake. And the reason we're told this is because we're not supposed to think that Peter had a vision. This is not something happening in his head. This is not something that he's dreamt. He was asleep. Now he's awake. This is something that genuinely happened that he, James, and John were eyewitnesses of. And they were witnesses of Jesus coming in his kingdom. All of a sudden, even though it's during the first coming, Peter is seeing a preview of the second coming during his first time, Jesus' first coming on earth. Peter's getting to see, oh, this is what it's going to be like when Jesus comes back in power and in glory. And it's in the middle of this experience where he's getting a preview of a second coming that Peter learns the most important thing, the most important truth about Christ's second coming. This is the truth that drives everything that he's going to write in Second Peter. This is the truth that he most wants us to be reminded of today. This is the truth when he says, look, I know that you know about this second coming, but we need to keep remembering it. It's because he wants us to grasp the point that he learned that day when he saw the preview. Keep reading with me. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then Luke adds, he did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Now Peter's there. And have you ever gone to a movie preview? And you're there to see a different movie, but you're there, they show the preview of some movie and it's really exciting, it's really fantastic and you think to yourself, I wish I could watch that movie right now. Like I don't wanna wait till summer of 2015. I wanna see the movie right. That's what Peter's doing right here. He sees the preview, the preview of Jesus coming in all of his glory and he thinks, well, let's let the movie go right now. Like let's not wait. Let's not have this be a preview. And so Peter says, well, hold on, because as the preview is ending, Peter says, wait, 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 can we make this go a little longer? Let's put up some shelters here, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for you, Jesus. And is there a way we can kind of extend the preview so we can see more? Now, it's a very natural response. If you and I had been there, we would have done the same thing. I mean, when you see Jesus, after having just seen him as a carpenter, 
as a teacher and he's telling you about God to all of a sudden see him in his fully divine glory? I'd be like, whoa, 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 let's, 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 let's go a little further here. I got some questions. I want to write this down. I want to take some pictures. I want this to last for a while. Now, that's a very natural response, and there's no maliciousness in Peter's heart whatsoever. But the text tells us, God tells us, that he has said something highly offensive, that he's actually insulted Jesus. Now, he doesn't know that he's doing it, and that's why there's no rebuke. But he said something that is terribly offensive. In order to understand that, we first have to ask the question, what are Moses and Elijah doing here? Like, it makes sense, Peter, James, and John, they're there for the preview. Jesus is there because he's the main show. But what are Moses and Elijah doing there? Moses and Elijah have already gone to heaven. Why are they showing up here? And why is it Moses and Elijah and not two other people? Why is it not Abraham and Moses? Or why is it not Abraham and David? Or why are there not 80 people? Why are they anyone at all? Well, if you go back in the Old Testament, there are two times that God comes to meet his people collectively in association with a mountain. Remember, they've gone up a mountain to pray. The first time is Mount Sinai. <clears throat> At Mount Sinai, the people of Israel are gathered together around the mountain and God appears in smoke and in fire. And he speaks to them audibly from the mountain. And he gives them the Ten Commandments. And this is their first experience of God, mediated through Moses, but they're meeting with God at that mountain. Well, that's what Moses represents. The second mountain experience is Mount Carmel. Israel has turned away from the Lord and they're no longer interested in following God. They're following false gods like Baal. And Elijah comes along and he says, hey, look, how long are you going to waver between two opinions? If Baal is God, fine, follow him. If the Lord is God, follow him. And so he calls everybody to Mount Carmel. And on Mount Carmel, Elijah calls for God to reveal himself and says, look, Lord, if I'm your prophet and you're, a real, you're the real God, show yourself. And all of a sudden, fire comes down from heaven and God makes his presence known. That's what Elijah represents. Well, Peter's sitting there, and all of a sudden he realizes, I get the pattern. Mountain, Moses. Mountain, Elijah. Mountain, Jesus. This is the third in the pattern. On the mountain, <clears throat> uh, when Moses was there, God's people got to meet with God. On the mountain with Elijah, God's people got to meet with God. And now we get to be here with Jesus, and we get to have this divine experience. And so Peter's saying, hey, Let's put up three shelters to represent these three great mountain experiences because he's thinking, I'm in one of them now. Like my story is going to be told. I'm sure he wished he would have been at Mount Sinai. I'm sure he wished he would have been at Mount Carmel. Well, here he is now on the Mount of Transfiguration. So he says, let's build some, let's build some structures. We'll have one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for you, Jesus. Like we got this all together. This is great. Now the problem is, is that this is incredibly insulting. Now, I don't think he's done it maliciously, and that's why there's no rebuke. But while he's still speaking, God the Father descends on top of him in a cloud and silences him. And this is what the Father says. 
a voice came from the clouds saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Oh, where'd Moses and Elijah go? I thought it was three. Moses, Elijah, Jesus. Where are they? What about them? This is the point that Peter learns. The most important point about the second coming of Jesus. What he learned in the preview was the second coming of Jesus is about Jesus. And that when Jesus returns again in glory and in power, he's the only one anybody's going to be talking about. And that what God the Father is saying is, hey, look, I'm for Moses. I picked him. Hey, look, I'm for Elijah. I picked him. But my son, he doesn't belong in the same sentence with anybody. Do not ever put my son in a sentence with even the best that humans have to offer. You see, when God met the people through Moses, God met the people through Elijah, but Jesus is God. This is something categorically different. This is something that never has happened before. God has become present with his people in the form of a person and on the Mount of Transfiguration. Yes, it's connected to Sinai and Carmel, but Jesus is so far beyond Moses and Elijah that God the Father won't let Peter finish the sentence. He simply cuts him off. And he says, this is my son. Listen to him. And Peter realizes in the preview of the second coming that when Jesus returns again, there's only going to be one thing that matters. Have you listened to Jesus? Have you listened to Jesus? That's why Jesus says, if anyone's ashamed of me and my words, when the second coming happens, it's going to be bad. Why? Because the only thing that will matter when Jesus returns is, did you listen to Jesus? And as wonderful as Moses and Elijah are, as holy as they are, when Jesus shows up, they're banished from sight. What does that mean for the college professor who's been trying to teach you that Jesus is not worth following? What does that mean for your family members who have been trying to say to you, look, don't be so crazy about this Jesus guy. Just be more sane and calm about all this stuff. What does this mean for your husband who's been trying to get you to disobey Jesus? What does this mean for your friends who have been trying to say, don't follow Jesus, come follow after us? What does this mean for society in general who says that Jesus is not worth following? What it means is, is that when Jesus comes back, all that stuff is gone. And all that's going to matter. Did you listen to Jesus? And if like Peter, we've got really great rationalization and we want to say to the Father, hey, look, I followed that Moses guy and I followed that Elijah guy and I, I followed this person, I followed that person. No, Jesus. What did you do with Jesus? That's the only question that matters. And if we try to say back to the Father, yes, I know Jesus told me to live this way. But, I thought that perhaps this other way would be good too. All God's going to do is silence us. Did you listen to my son? And if we think that Jesus' sexual ethics and morality is embarrassing, on that day, the question is going to be, not do you have good arguments? The question, did you listen to my son?
If we think following Jesus is too hard, too difficult, costs too much, we don't really feel like doing it. What Peter is saying is, look, when Jesus comes again, there's only one question. Did you listen? Is he the one you're imitating? Is he the one you believe in? Is he the one you're following? Is he the one you're obeying? And it doesn't matter how many good arguments and rational reasons we have for why we didn't follow Jesus or why we didn't obey Jesus. In that moment, every single voice will be silenced. And the question will be, this is my son. Did you listen to him? That's why Jesus' second coming drives everything that we do. In his first coming, he provided for us the salvation and the grace that we need to have a relationship with God. But he was very clear, I'm going to come again. And on that day, all that will matter is did you listen? Did you follow? Did you obey? Did you imitate me? Did you walk the path that I walked before you? This brings us to our time of communion. Communion is a celebration instituted by God for us for this very purpose. To remind us that it's all about Jesus. As a church, we do not have any celebrations oriented around Peter. We do not have any celebrations oriented around Mary. We do not have any celebrations oriented around Moses. We do not have any celebrations oriented around Elijah. Communion reminds us it's about Jesus. And it's a reminder of what Jesus has already done for us and a celebration that Jesus told us to do until he comes again. That when we participate in communion, what's supposed to happen is what's going on in 2 Peter 2. Even though we know about Jesus, we're supposed to remember Jesus. And that remembering Jesus is supposed to remind us all that matters is have we listened to Jesus? Have we believed Jesus? Have we accepted Jesus? Are we doing what Jesus did? Are we following after Jesus? And so in just a minute... We're going to have bread and cup distributed. That bread and that cup symbolize or represent Jesus. As you hold that bread and cup in your hand, there's going to be a time of silence, followed by a song that we're going to sing together. During that time of silence, what I want you and what I'm going to be doing is ask this question. Is there any way you're not listening to Jesus? Is there somebody else you're listening to instead of Jesus? Is there a family member who is in your ear telling you to do something that Jesus doesn't want you to do? Are you listening to society instead of Jesus? Are you listening to yourself instead of Jesus? Are you simply trying to ignore Jesus and pretend that when, you show, when he comes back that it'll all be fine? He's good, I'm good, we're all good together. What I want you to do is hold that bread and cup and ask, is there any way I'm not listening to Jesus? If God brings something to mind, this is your opportunity to ask God for forgiveness and to help you to be the person who listens to Jesus.